This week on Geek Explained, 10 years ago, the epic Batman run by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo kicked off the birth of the new 52. To celebrate this monumental run, I'm joined by Dallas, Alexis, and Anne of the Comics Collective podcast to discuss my favorite part of this iconic saga. That's right, it's time to put the Geek Explained spotlight on Batman Super Heavy. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is the latest edition of our Geek Explained Spotlight series. And this one I've been waiting for for a very long time. Because we are talking about Batman Super Heavy. I have been waiting to talk about this for a very long time. It is my favorite arc from the entire Snyder Capullo Batman run. It does not get the love it deserves so this episode we're giving it the love it deserves and joining me for this episode is a trio of podcasters that i am very fortunate to call friends dallas alexis and Anne of the comics collective podcast because this my dear listener is a crossover this is a two-part crossover where in our episode we're covering zero year and in their episode i'm do- i'm doing a little guest spot myself over there on the comics collective this week we're talking zero year the two i would say most underserved arcs of the entire snyder capullo batman run we're giving them some shine to celebrate 10 years of the new 52 so when you are done listening to this Go listen to their episode, or if you're coming from their episode to come listen to this, hello, welcome, thanks for joining us. But alongside this monumental discussion, we of course have the weekly review with the latest episode of Doom Patrol Season 3, as well as the Comics Countdown, where I tell you about all the comics you should be checking out this week. But before we get into all of this amazing stuff, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. Going to kick things off here with miscellaneous news, two pieces of video game news to go over real quick, and they're both Marvel news. Uh, First off, some sad news. We found out this past week that Midnight Suns, the game that is going to be kind of turning the... Uh, Marvel formula for video games on its head with a card-based XCOM-style system has unfortunately been delayed. The team is focused on making the best game possible as per their statement on the matter. And so the game has been delayed to the back end of 2022. It was originally supposed to be coming out in spring, but it looks like that's going to be heading back towards the fall, which makes sense, I think, anyway, with it being the Midnight Suns, the horror aesthetic. It'll probably be coming out in either September or October. So look forward to that. 
But way before that, this month, in fact, uh, we got the announcement that Marvel's Avengers is going to be dropping their long-awaited Spider-Man expansion. Uh, we got the news right around, I would say, the, uh, the launch of this game that Spider-Man was going to be a DLC character uh, exclusive to the PlayStation 4 and later on the PlayStation 5. And now, with a brand new roadmap that takes us through the fall and into the winter of 2021, they've announced that Spider-Man, as well as his story pack or whatever they're planning on doing with him, is going to be dropping on November 30th. So this month, just a couple weeks away, you will be able to play play Spider-Man. Um, they're trying their best. I will say their team is definitely trying their best to get back in the good graces of the fans and of the gamers who have been both enjoying the game and those who have been turned away from the game. Um, and I think they've got a lot of big shoes to fill, especially with how great that Guardians of the Galaxy game was. I know we keep harping on it. I know I keep harping on it, but it's incredible. Uh, they've got some big shoes to fill now that Guardians is out and they are kind of the forgotten Marvel game. So we'll see how Spider-Man is. I have my fingers crossed that it's going to be something good. Uh, over on the comic side of things, we got one quick announcement. That is that Apparently, we're getting an Aquaman title for 2022, most likely featuring Arthur Curry and Jackson Hyde, aka Calderon. Um, it's, I mean, I mean, this is great. We do have uh, the Aquaman book. We have the Black Mana book. We have the Aquaman Green Arrow uh, Deep Target book, and then we also have Aquaman: The Becoming, which is the best of the bunch. Uh, I'm interested to see what they do here. I'm still waiting for them to kind of decide what they want to do it looks like they're building things for that aqua family and uh, we'll just have to see where they go from there hopping over to film news real quick three pieces of film news that i wanted to talk about first off fast and furious ba -da 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 -da. no that's the avengers um Anyway, they're my Avengers. Uh, the Fast and Furious franchise is nearing its end with Fast and Furious 10 or F10 or whatever they end up calling it. Um on the horizon and over the past week Vin Diesel has extended the olive branch to Dwayne the Rock Johnson for him to return to the franchise for the finale. It is storied at this point, the rivalry and the feud that has been going on between uh, Diesel and Dwayne. And I am very interested to see this develop. It's funny that he decided to, you know, extend this invitation over Instagram of all places, though I guess Rock does spend most of his time on Instagram as well. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. So if there is any update on this, you will be sure that I will be uh, letting you know about it. And more unfortunate news, it uh, looks like Patty Jenkins' Rogue Squadron has been delayed indefinitely. The studio has announced that due to scheduling conflicts with Patty Jenkins, she is doing a bunch of stuff, including getting prepped for Wonder Woman 3, some other projects. So Rogue Squadron has been delayed. We don't know when or if it is going to get picked up again. But fingers crossed, because I'm still very excited about the concept of Patty Jenkins helming a Rogue Squadron uh, film. It should be good. 
fingers crossed she'll be able to come back to it soon. And then in more exciting news, we got the news uh, this week that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is officially underway. Production has begun. Uh, James Gunn signified the occasion with a cast photo featuring all of our live action cast members, including good Mr. Will Poulter, who will be playing Adam Warlock. Uh, I'm excited to see what they go what they do with this where they go with it this is it this is the finale of james gunn's guardians trilogy or is it we don't know um gunn has said before that his he kind of envisioned it as a three movie series so we'll see what happens but i don't know about you but this sounds like the best time to hashtag get gun on geek explained i don't know maybe who knows but that is going to bring us to TV news. Three pieces of TV news that I want to talk about real quick. Uh, two pieces of Netflix news. First off, Daniel Day Kim has been cast as Fire Lord Ozai in the live-action Avatar series for Netflix. Daniel Day Kim rules, so I am totally okay with this. I still don't know how to feel about this Avatar live-action remake, but... Time will tell, as will a trailer. And then in other Netflix news, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, one of your favorite anime and one of mine as well, uh, is going to be debuting and premiering its sixth part, a.k.a. Stone Ocean, a.k.a. The Prison One, a.k.a. Jolene's Bizarre Adventure. It's gonna, it's coming out, and it's coming out very soon. It looks like we are getting the premiere of the first, I think it said 13 episodes on December 1st. It is going to be the sub-slash-original Japanese uh, voice cast. No word on an English dub or any other languages at this point, but... The anime will be dropping on Netflix worldwide on December 1st, so keep an eye out for that. And then finally in TV news, we got the news that I have been waiting for. Superman and Lois Season 2 is going to be premiering on January 11th, 2022. It's just a couple months away. I am so excited about this. I loved Superman and Lois Season 1. I cannot wait to see what awaits them in Season 2. And it January 11th can't come soon enough. So that is going to do it for this week's news. And speaking of DC Comics properties, that is going to roll us right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, which is our latest Geek Explained Spotlight featuring the Comics Collective on Batman Super Heavy. You're a cop, you're a damn good cop, you're in the city with Batman Ain't gonna stop. You're a cop, cop, cop. You're a damn good cop. Ba, ba, ba. Batman. Ten years ago. Writer Scott Snyder and artist Greg Capullo decided to reinvent the modern Batman story. Diving into the initiative known as the New 52, Snyder and Capullo embarked on a journey to reinvent what it meant to be Batman. And 10 years later, we are looking at possibly the most ambitious undertaking of that entire run. 
It's time, ladies and gentlemen. I've been talking about it for years. We are talking about Super Heavy, the epic done by Scott Snyder, Gray Capullo, FCO Placencia, Danny Miki, and all the others who made this book what it is. This is the latest edition of the Geek Explain Spotlight, where every month I take a look at a specific comic, graphic novel, comic, whatever, and just talk about why it's so great. And joining me on this episode are three individuals who I am very excited to have on the podcast. One, you've heard before. Two, you're hearing for the very first time on this podcast anyway. I am joined by Dallas Taylor, Alexis Taylor, and likes comics and likes to talk shit, the Comics Collective themselves. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah. I just got chills by your cold open, might I just say. That I feel like beautiful. our podcast is shit oh, now. <laughs> I'm going to go home. <laughs> I came to chew gum and talk shit, and I'm all out of gum. So let's go. <laughs> you want to talk about good intros. That's the one. That was yeah. that was the one. So Ooh. these three individuals are the Comics Collective. They have an incredible podcast. We'll talk a little bit more about it when we plug it later. And we're going to plug it later because this is part of a two-part collaboration, a crossover event, if you will, between both of our comics podcasts. On the Comics Collective side of things, we're covering Zero Year. And in this episode, on this podcast, we're talking about almost a spiritual successor, and you could easily consider this the sequel to that. It's super heavy, baby. I've been talking about it for years, wanting to cover it, and now is the perfect time. Now that we are 10 years uh, ten years away from the birth of the New 52, we can now look back at it with purple gloved glasses. And let's talk about this. So the the book itself, Super Heavy, was a reinvention of Batman as a concept. We had just gone through Batman Endgame, which was basically supposed to be the end of Batman. This was the last Joker-Batman battle. It was bombastic. It was huge. The entire city got involved. Dick Grayson spoiled his uh his cover because he was still doing the Grayson thing to come back and help out the Bat family. And at the end, seemingly, Bruce Wayne and the Joker were killed, which left a void in Gotham. What was going to happen next? This is what happens next. It's super heavy. It's James. Don't call him Commissioner Gordon. And it's time for Batman. It's time for Super Heavy. It's time for Rookie. It's time for all of us to talk about this. But before we get into that, I want to ask you all, each of you individually, Dallas, Ann, and Alexis, what is your favorite Batman story? Doesn't have to be the first story you were introduced to. Doesn't have to be, you know, objectively the best Batman story. What is your favorite Batman story? And what makes it your favorite Batman story. I'm going to go to Dallas first. Well, I mean, starting off with the correct opinion, it's got to be Batman and Robin by Grant Morrison and <laughs> Frank Whiteley. <laughs> yes. It's the best. It's the best. I think it's got a lot in common with Super Heavy where uh, it's not about Bruce Wayne and that's what makes it good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I love Bruce Wayne, but I like the dynamic of the little grumpy Robin and the chipper, happy Batman. 
Longtime listeners of this show will know that's the Olivier and Mark dynamic right yes, there, baby. Yes, you did it. Damien <laughs> is just a little French man that, <laughs> along with Dick Grayson, decides to fight crime and there's no Joker in it, right? So everything is perfect in that story, frankly. And I miss it every single day. Agreed. And what is your favorite Batman story? Uh, it's This one's always so hard for me because there's like a good half dozen to a dozen stories that I put up. There was like, oh, I love the story. I adore the story more than anything else. But I none of them has like emerged as like the front, one, front runner, you know? They're like all pretty solid. Like I love the Long Halloween. I love the Court of Owls saga. But honestly, I think Black Mirror might be the one that had like the most visceral effect on me and stuck with me the longest. And that's the one where it's like, if I want to sit down and read a good Batman thriller, I'm going to sit down and read Black Mirror. I love that one very, very much. Hell yeah. Alexis? Oh, well, so not everybody that listens to your podcast might know that I am an infant in the comic world. So I did this podcast with the Comics Collective. We started it, me and Dallas. He started it originally, but I hopped on just so that he had a buddy to talk to because everybody else quit. So I started reading comics to help Dallas talk about the comics that he likes. So Actually, I would have to say that my favorite one so far that I actually liked, because I also have a hot take that I don't like Batman, but um, the one that we actually read for the first part that we just recorded with our podcast might be my favorite, Zero Year. I think that dynamic was fun for me. It was different than everything I've known about Batman. And so it was just fun to actually get a different look on him. Hell yeah. So the thing that I'm getting across this from the three books that we've talked about, Batman and Robin, Batman Zero Year, and Batman the Black Mirror, first off, two of them don't feature Bruce Wayne as Batman, which, as Dallas said, is uh, a recipe for a good Batman story. But it's also about struggle. All three of those stories are about struggle. All three of those stories are about someone trying to fill the shoes of Batman, whether it's someone who is coming afterwards or someone trying to walk the path for the first time. And with Super Heavy, the same undertaking that Dick Grayson takes in both Black Mirror and, or really all three of these, is the same undertaking that Jim Gordon is facing. Because this story features Jim Gordon becoming Batman, Alexis's favorite robo-Batman. Uh, what did you guys think of this book in general? Like, what did, how did you feel about the usage of the characters? Because there's a lot that they pull in from this. You know, they pull in blimps, they pull in... Uh, jerry powers from the powers family and batman beyond this book alongside a lot of other pieces of the snyder and capullo run really does pull from all eras of batman to tell its story right out the gate i'm not even gonna let dallas talk because he's gonna <laughs> interrupt me uh i'm just gonna say right out the gate i learned that commissioner gordon had a first name and it is jim that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> <laughs> That's my first take. I didn't know he had a name. I knew he, it was probably there, but never learned it till now. <laughs> okay, Dallas, so, you can go. <laughs> Jimbo Gordon is a blessing. <laughs> this was a fun story for me because 
I started reading comics with the new 52. My first run of Batman was Snyder and Capullo's Batman. And so I wasn't a jaded comic book reader yet. I really thought Bruce Wayne was gone, right? I was like, it's crazy. I started reading this right when they decided to kill Bruce (laughs) Wayne for the first and only time. I was wrong, by the way, on both accounts. But so I really bought into this premise of, I guess, Jim Gordon is Batman now. And it felt new and exciting with every single issue, right? So I think revisiting this story for me recaptures a little bit of that excitement of reading comics for the first time. When you don't really feel like you're smarter than the comics you're reading, you're like, oh, I know where this is going. I didn't know where it was going at any given time. And I think that's something that Snyder and Capullo do well throughout their run is that each issue ends with a cliffhanger that you genuinely have no idea where it's going to go the next issue. And Super Heavy is no exception to that. Totally agree. Say for me, Super Heavy is one of those weird arcs. It's one of the only arcs from this entire run that I haven't, you know, had a chance to read yet. So this was my first time through it, actually. Oh, cool. Because that whole DCU era, I was a not jaded, but I was definitely influenced by a lot of opinions online. And when you first get into comics, a lot of white noise you hear is that, oh, character's dead, legacy character's bad, not interested anymore. It's going to be bad. It's going to be awful. You shouldn't read this. So I just kind of avoided it because, you know, different is weird. So getting to revisit it after a while and with a more, you know, uh, I want to say optimistic, no, objective, like, mindset, it's an a very interesting story, especially from a Jim Gordon perspective, because he doesn't get the spotlight like this all the time. We get to see plenty of stories where he's in the spotlight, but never like this, never as like a superhero. And that's a very interesting and unique place to put him in and to see how well he deals with it. It was actually really invigorating. I was glad that he did as well as he did. He definitely struggled along the way, but it was really cool to see that Jim Gordon could carry his weight and could be a really efficient but very different Batman. Yeah, definitely agree. I mean, they they make it pretty clear in the first issue of this arc that he is not the best choice. They have him like walk through this like little training room of these guys who are like wearing hoodies with like little Batman masks on. They're kicking the crap out of each other and they're like, yeah, he's way faster than you. She's stronger than you are, but they're not the right choice. And I think it's really interesting that they decided to go with Jim Gordon. We all know that Scott Snyder loves Jim Gordon. Black Mirror, that Anne mentioned earlier, is just as much a Jim Gordon story as it is a Batman story. And that was Scott Snyder's first kind of big put him on the map with Batman kind of story before he went on to do Gates of Gotham and then, of course, this. And I think I want to know how you how you all would feel if this hypothetical situation comes up, right? Bruce Wayne goes away. We now need to get a new Batman going. Would Jim Gordon be in even your first top five choices? See, I really like the choice of Jim Gordon as Batman because he's the only Batman supporting character that doesn't fall under the Batman umbrella, if that makes sense. Like everybody is reacting to Bruce Wayne in some way. Dick Grayson says, I don't want to be like you. Um, 
Jason Todd dies. Um, <laughs> that Tim Drake says, oh, I'm going to be the Batman that solves everything in the tie-in and detective run, right? Hell yeah. But it's a very good run. But Jim Gordon is a parallel force to Bruce Wayne. He's a peer of Bruce Wayne in a way that none of the other Batman successors have been. And I think that allows him to blaze a very unique and interesting trail and sort of show what Batman means to people that don't know him on a personal level. And I really love that. Say it was definitely a choice. It was definitely one of the things that put me off of it to begin with was just like, this feels wrong. It feels wrong to put the cop in the position of the vigilante, which they do cover a bit in this and how that is different than it was before and how a Batman that has to work within the wall is different than a Batman that doesn't have to. Personally, he would not be in my top five. I would definitely go to Bat Family first. My, my first choice would be Cassandra. She's always been my first choice to replace Bruce if he goes down. It just means so much to her as a character. I think that'd be a great place for her to go next. But it's just for the time and place, I, and after reading the story, I understand why the decision was made and why Jim fits here. And I think for the story, it definitely works. And I have one important question for you. No. Um, does does Cassandra Kane have a battering pistol? And that it's it's so crazy because point. the answer to that question is the exact same as should she be Batman instead of Jim Gordon? It's super weird how those have the same you know, answer. So I'm going to turn it back over it was, to you. It was really cool how Jim Gordon was able to go to like Toys R Us and pick up that that Nerf like brushing gun <laughs> <laughs> and just like. He had the like, glow in the dark. He had the glow in the dark darts. Exactly. Do you, all right, real question. Do you think no. Jim Gordon walks around after and picks up the batterings and is like, I'm missing one. Where did yep. it go? Everyone <laughs> lift up the couch cushions. Where is the other battering? Where is it? Oh, definitely. Yep. And he, no. go, he goes to his bat mom and he's like, hey, so they sell these extra packs of batterings <laughs> at Toys R Us. I promise I won't lose them this time. Could you get me the 12 pack? I'm missing one. And then she comes back and she doesn't have the right kind. So they don't even work in his back gun. <laughs> Got him the suction cup ends. He wanted the little rubber end ones. It was, it was a nightmare. Oh, no. So let's that's talk about gets... that. Yeah, go for oh, it. Go ahead. Go ahead, please. I was just going to say, that's what he gets Harvey to do. He goes around after each fight. <laughs> <takes a little. laughs> this calls in Harvey, it's time. Harvey's like, all right, all right, here we go. Get the credit card. So talking about this kind of new version of Batman, yes, Batman has a gun in this, but it shoots out little mini batarangs. And <laughs> I kind of love that because they show in a scene between him and Julia, Julia Pennyworth, who is a prime character here and who rules, um, <laughs> that he does not have the same kind of aim throwing batarangs there's this great sequence where he's he's got like this little target and he keeps throwing the batarang wide misses just cannot hit this to save his life and so it makes sense that as a cop he's familiar with a gun so he has his little batarang gun i love this costume i love this all black yellow uh lined bat he's got like the little captain uh stripes on his right shoulder how do you guys feel about the uh, the Batman costume for for Jim Gordon here? And is there anything you'd tweak about it? It's ice cold. Mustache. 
the mustache coming out of the bottom of the cow would be so hard. <laughs> it would be amazing. You because saw my edit I put today? Yes. I did. I did. I saw it. It made me laugh so hard. He like, doesn't yes. have a secret identity in this. So no. there's there's nothing holding him back Why from just having. Why did they make him shave his mustache? No, dynamics, obviously. It's the no, same reason Bruce Wayne buzz cuts statement. his hair in zero year. He's just got to be sleek. I just love the idea of him like diving out of that blimp and the mustache just like waving in the wind, like like the Lorax. <laughs> you do what um what Kate Kane does and just put a longer mustache on <laughs> over his actual mustache. No, he just he he dyes it blonde and he's like, You're actually, dead. I'm Oliver Queen. Oh I'm Batman. <laughs> Oliver Queen is actually Aquaman. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, um, no, oh yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's oh, a deep dig on the target. A deep dive, <laughs> if you will. A deep dive. Oh. But no, I I really enjoy this. I think it makes sense since he's, you know, essentially the police Batman. He's the one that mm-hmm. is sanctioned by the police. He's working with the GCPD, which means he's also got some more uh, toys to play with. Namely, Rookie. I love Rookie. Rookie is the bat mech that he gets to pal around with and sometimes, you know, pilot. Rookie rules. How do you guys feel about Batman having, instead of a Robin, he's got this rookie? I I think there's a couple important points we have to hit here. Rookie is big, so that's that's a plus, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Robin being bigger than Batman, again, just huge plus. Love that dynamic. I think that it becomes exponentially better when they become two separate entities. So the first little bit where he's piloting the Mecca, I was like, all right, this is cool, but like move on. But the second that rookie becomes his sidekick and he's, he's made vulnerable again by being in that little cat suit. Also got to be the most revealing Batman suit (laughs) of all time. It might be. It might be every crease and crevice of his body. Jim Gordon didn't get all those muscles not to show it off. He said, mm-hmm. paint this bat suit on. <laughs> and they said, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> he got out of that mecca so fast. He's like, you made me shave a mohawk and get buff. I am putting on my little cat suit and fighting next to this mecca. It's it's perfect. It's such a fun dynamic. And they have so many good moments. Yeah, I'm just trying to imagine the suit up scene that takes like 45 minutes. He's trying to wiggle himself into the tightest suit. No way, possibly. no way. I'm telling you, he's standing there and just like, <laughs> it's like the Iron Man machine, except instead of putting armor, they paint. Yeah, they, they're just spray painting him the entire just, time. It's I like the, it's the Kim K look with the gold paint. That, <laughs> <laughs> that's Jim Gordon also has those that break the internet pictures. It's Love great. It. I just can't help but think of that, like, I can't, the meme or the TikTok where they're like, so you think I'm skinny? Every time he puts on his costume, because he just is like, so skinny. He is is the beanpole Batman. (laughs) He is the beanpole Batman. It's just like the picture, I don't even know, I have the picture of the cover in my mind where he's just like striking a pose and it's freaking He kind of has some SpongeBob legs (laughs) a little bit. Which I think is, it makes sense because Jim Gordon was not all jacked and stacked before this. It is true. They they even mention like, because they say like, oh yeah, you got all like buff and everything. He's like implants. It's all implants. And I'm like, all right, we, we're, we're doing some body positive body modification. Let's, let's do this. He's got some butt implants. (laughs) 
I mean, he's not Nightwing. We can't we can't give him too much. But all right, all right. Are Nightwing's implants? Is yes. that a butt implant? That's all natural, baby. You don't wear pixie shorts if you can't fill them. You know he had a Kim a moment where he scanned his buttons like look it's real i promise i promise it's real <laughs> he has that like that cover with the champagne <laughs> oh. bottle exactly yep. but it's nightwing mm-hmm. that but has nightwing. to exist <laughs> somewhere That's i'm on, sure it that does. is on the internet you know it does the if dear not, listener if not backstar is on find the job it. I, i'm gonna get a hold of nicola scott right this yes. <laughs> <laughs> she will do it So as Jim Gordon is uh, getting into the role of Batman, we also find ourselves following two other lead characters, that being the amnesiac yet alive Bruce Wayne and our boy, your friend and mine, Duke Thomas. The story of these three men are intertwined in the way that they're all trying to decide what Batman should be following this. Jim Gordon is trying to make his own way as his own Batman. Bruce Wayne wants nothing to do with anything about Batman. In fact, this version of Bruce Wayne doesn't know that he used to be Batman. He knows that there was a tragedy. He knows that Alfred took care of him, but he is running from the truth. And Duke Thomas is trying to find a way through without Batman, establishing the Robins and the excellent We Are Robin book. I love that book so much. And at the same time, trying to find the whereabouts of his parents who disappeared during Endgame. Now, Duke Thomas first made his appearance in Zero Year, which, again, we covered in part one of this two-part crossover. And how do you guys feel about Duke Thomas? Because I really like Duke Thomas. This version pre-signal is my favorite version of duke thomas where he's just this scrappy smart kid who's just like man forget batman we just need robins we need just an a gang of robins running around kicking old people's asses i really think he tapped into the core of the terror that is robins (laughs) just a bunch of red and green clad 10 year olds given the duty to police a city If you don't have younger siblings, dear listener, (laughs) you might not get this, but giving a 10-year-old that much power, Mm -hmm. like you're in charge of the ethics of this city, and here's a Batarang, that's nightmare fuel right there. And so I think Duke Thomas did more for keeping Gotham safe than Batman has ever done, because that is so much scarier. You want to talk about like fear as a tool, just a wave, <laughs> like one of those, like, you know, the classic, like all the ninjas come off of yes. and like blot out sun. It's just 10 year olds in red <laughs> and pixie shorts. It's horrifying. So like props to Duke Thomas for giving us that. Yeah, totally agree. Alexis, uh, and I know that Alexis, you are not at may not be as familiar with Duke Thomas as we are with uh, with his many escapades as Robin and as the signal. How did you feel about Duke's uh, usage in this story and in as well as his uh, involvement in Zero Year? I will say it was since. Yeah. So what you said, um, I haven't had much experience with him at all. So it was definitely interesting to be introduced to a new character, frankly, that I didn't know existed. (laughs) So that was fun. And also I feel like a slight idiot because I did not make the connection that that was the same kid. So did not put that together. 
It's like the Star Wars. Un- it's like the Star Wars universe. He's actually Lando's son. Yep. Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if you picked up on that. Oh heavens! Oh heavens! But no, I I kind of want to look more into him now, like after the fact. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm very interested. So whatever else he's in, I might go digging around. I would definitely recommend We Are Robin. It okay. rules. As a his book. his story in Future State, where he has those dope swords, that is like one of the single coolest issues ever. No, he's like a grown up at oh. this point. Oh, good, 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 good. But and he's so got ten year olds with swords. That that costume design for him in Future State Two, mm-hmm. absolute drip. It like, goes so hard. It goes so hard. I was like, that's that's the people's Robin right there. Hell yeah! I, and it, <laughs> ma- it makes me mad that he's he isn't considered an official Robin mm-hmm. because it's annoying. It is super. That's annoying. probably why I don't know him, you know, because I mean, I feel like I have a good grasp of the Robins every once in a while. I, yep. It's a little wishy washy, but I don't even yep. think I could name all the Robins. And I've been reading yes. comic for 10 years. <laughs> He's taking that place that Stephanie used to have where it's like yes. everyone just forgets about him. But now that's they're like, OK, if we remember Stephanie, we don't have to remember Duke. So they started remembering <laughs> Stephanie again. Yeah. We're so, actually we only have room for five Robins in our head. The max. <laughs> At a time. It's true. It's true. They, they start to leak out the ears when you <laughs> add new ones. Dallas, Dallas, his fingers crossed that Jason's the next one to leak out. But who knows? All <laughs> I'm saying is Duke Thomas is part of my five. <laughs> <laughs> Listener, make sure you let us know who your five Robins are. Hashtag five Robins. Hashtag, let's do that. Hashtag five Robins. And you let me know, you let us all know who your five Robins are. And we, maybe I'll talk about them next episode. But <laughs> our third lead, or I'm sorry, Anne, how did you feel about Duke Thomas? You're a bit more familiar with the character. I'm as well. surprisingly just a little bit more because Duke is one of those characters who it's like, I'm aware of his existence, but since I skipped this arc and a lot of the end of Snyder stuff, I just kind of skipped most of the Duke Thomas stuff by accident, including V.O. Robbins. I've only read a little bit of it, and it's been a minute. I'm actually at a point where I don't even think I could describe to you what Duke's powers are, because he does get powers eventually. And it's just it's just a shame. It's just like every bad thing I read conveniently leaves, leaves him out, and it's always frustrating, because it's like, I would like to know more about him but he's never in any of the books I'm reading. So getting to finally see like not his origin story per se, but to get to see that relationship between him and Bruce finally built up a little bit was really nice. That scene with him and Bruce in the subway where he's like making Bruce stare down the train. Fantastic. Fantastic moment. I'm like, no one else could have done this the way he did. That was, that was really cool. And it's definitely gotten me want to go. I want to go pick up Batman and the signal now. Cause I want to see how Snyder expands that relationship because it's really intriguing. Yeah, and there's also, um, in once Reaver started, there was an all-star Batman book. I know that gets people really nervous because it reminds people of all-star Batman and Robin. But no, all-star Batman was good. Does he make Duke Thomas eat rats? He might. You'll just have to read it. Um, <laughs> all the, all when the does backups, he show up in that run? So he's in all the backups. So the oh, entire yeah, right. first mm-hmm. arc... The main story is this like bonkers road trip with Batman and Two Face mm-hmm. trying to escape every single rogue and mob person in Gotham. All the backups actually spawn out of this book because it's him training Duke. And it's this great little like uh, Mask of Zorro thing where it's like, all right, this is the circle. There's no like, you know, nothing outside of this. And like he is slowly making his way into that whole thing it's super cool 
Um, so I definitely, I definitely check that out if you want want to mm-hmm. get more Duke. But he is a fantastic character who deserves to actually be Robin, and I will die on that hill forever. Um, but our third lead is the amnesiac Bruce Wayne. So Bruce has set up a nice little life for himself with Julie Madison, as Dallas Taylor has said, the only real Batman love interest. And he's essentially kind of running a daycare slash halfway home with her. And he's just living the life. He's doing everything that, you know, Bruce Wayne would have done maybe if he had grown up to be uh, not someone with dead parents. So he's learning what a choice to... of Bruce Wayne's right there. If he would have just chose to not have dead parents, <laughs> her mom, it's her really mom his fault. Like, it... have you ever tried not having dead parents? <laughs> just a thought. <laughs> I, the funny thing is, I really think Bruce Wayne sees it that way. I really think he's like, <laughs> yeah. if I had just chosen not to have dead parents. <laughs> we've, we've cracked the code. We've cracked the code on Batman's psyche. DC, Tom King, DC, give me a Tom call. King, you don't even know how to do an introspective Batman story like we do. <laughs> but anyway, so... Bruce Wayne is essentially running Mm -hmm. from this responsibility. There's even a moment where Superman, who is going through his own bullshit in DCU, also one of my favorite Superman runs. The best bullshit. So good. Superman truth for everybody. Is basically like, yeah, that's not that's not Bruce Wayne. He like they're sitting out in the car and he's being like super incognito. He's he's got the MCU logic where you put on a ball cap and you're obviously someone else. And he's like, look, I'm using my you know X-ray vision to see in there. He's not in there. Like that's not Bruce Wayne. And Alfred's like, yeah, no, let's keep it that way. I like this shit. Like, and Bruce is essentially you know trying to live a different life. And as the story progresses, as things get worse, he begins to realize that he needs to be Batman again. And it all kind of culminates in this incredible scene on a park bench where he is joined by Forrest Gump himself as they sit and talk about life, Gotham City. And no, it's the it's heavily implied to be the Joker, right? So he's got like green eyes. He says, you know, oh, you know, that attack, you know, affected you it affected me too and it something that i love about this they never say whether or not this is the joker they never say at any point he's wearing the white suit he's got a little like um boutonniere and he like brings a gun to this park bench and he's like no i gotta tell you my super cool not creepy at all story let me tell you and it's fascinating to have this conversation between two people who are who could be mortal enemies but who might not recognize each other. And then there's also, you know, the possibility that maybe this is the Joker and he knows what's going on the entire time. And he's trying to egg him back into being Batman because he wants Batman back. So how did you guys feel about the, uh, the, the Bruce Wayne journey? Because I really loved that it became his choice to be Batman again. I, I liked it a lot. (laughs) I, this is the first time I feel like I've bought into Bruce is not Batman. You know, I feel like this is the one way that you can clean slate, be like, this is what he would look like 
if he hadn't chosen to have dead parents, <laughs> if he made the bold decision to have alive parents, this is what his life would look like. And I do think that this story threads a line by showing you like Bruce's life would be easier, but like he is heroic for choosing to be Batman. Cause I think a lot of the time people want to say, Oh, this is such a selfish thing that Batman is doing like, right. Batman is Bruce's excuse to go and turn people into fruit smoothies in the night with his fists. But really this is showing like yeah, his life would be way easier but Gotham needs Bruce Wayne to be Batman. Like Jim Gordon is a great Batman, but he can't save the day the way that Bruce Wayne can save him. And so it made it such a heroic decision for him to choose to take back on the burden of Batman. Going off that, there's this story, I believe it's in Detective Comics number 27, where the Spectre, I I think it's the Spectre, either Spectre or the Phantom Stranger shows Bruce a vision of his life if he had never gone down that alleyway. And Gotham's just in ruins. Like inside his little penthouse, everything's fine. He has a beautiful family. He's happy. But as soon as he looks outside, it's just like a war zone. And it's one of those things where it's never been about Bruce doing being Batman specifically for himself. He's Batman because he has to be Batman. And that is a choice that he makes because he has to be the hero and has to save the city because no one else can do it. And it's a sacrifice he has to make. And that's a lot of people don't understand that. They're like, like you said, they think he's being selfish for it. And I think that's what Alfred thinks too. And I don't think Alfred really believes that. I think that's just Alfred being like optimistic. Alfred still wants to believe that this version of Bruce Wayne can exist and coexist with a peaceful Gotham. But I think one of the reasons he lets him go eventually is because he knows that that's not true as much as he might want it to be. Because, you know, every father wants the best for their son, but sometimes you have to let your kids do what they're going to do, even if it is going to hurt. And it's it's definitely going to hurt Bruce. And that's that's the most painful moment in this entire arc for me. It's just seeing Alfred break down in front of that grandfather clock, keeping Bruce out of the basement. I think the most painful part for me was remembering that they uh, Buster Bluthed Alfred and they cut off his right yeah. hand. Very good. I, I completely... Completely forgot that that had happened, and I had to be reminded and be like, "Oh, oh yeah! Not only is he yep. dead now, but he was sans hand for a while." Yep. What What's more painful, seeing Alfred without a hand or Jim without a mustache? Jim without oh. a mustache. Oh. <laughs> there we go. I like how invested you've become in Jim, Shut not up. Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> That's the magic of super heavy, folks. It'll get you invested in this oh, character. His must not the character, just his mustache. That's a crime. That <laughs> is a crime in itself. Some would say the mustache is the character. Yes. Exactly. He throws little mustaches like batterings. Yeah, the mustache batterings. That's that's what the gun is for. He shoots out. They're not they're not batterings. They're just upside down mustaches. That's beautiful. The mustache it's, is to Jim Gordon what the shirt is to Aquaman. Exactly. exactly. It looks better. It looks better without it. Oh Moving shut on. up. No way. But yeah, Let it's <laughs> dead in the eyes. <laughs> I think that he should also have like a blue C design outfit, like Aquaman did. Hey, in the now 90s. you're spitting though. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to 
Jim Gordon as Batman, when it comes to Bruce Wayne deciding and making that choice, they ha- there's this beautiful parallel between this and Zero Year where Alfred has this conversation with Bruce where in Zero Year he's like, I think you're doing Batman or you're doing this whole Batman thing to punish us. You want us to bear witness to you turning into something where here he almost is doing the same thing, forcing Alfred to bear witness. But in this, in almost the opposite way, he's like, I could easily just ignore all this shit. I could go have my life and I wouldn't have a care in the world, be with my hot ginger girlfriend. Like this is, who I'm going to marry and we're going to have a great life running this little orphanage daycare thing. But him choosing and I mentioned it like the image of, you know, the banging on the door while Alfred is like trying to ignore it. And Bruce just like busts in and he's like, you need to take me to the cave. It's heartbreaking. It is absolutely soul destroying, but They've been driven to this point because of one man. They've been driven to this point of desperation because of one of the best Batman villains ever created, Mr. Bloom. Mr. Bloom freaking rules. He has all of the body horror of Dr. Death from Zero Year with a compelling reason to do what he's doing. It it feels like Snyder Capullo were like, oh, we had something there. Now let's flesh it out a little bit more. (laughs) Like that guy was mighty spoopy. Uh, What if, what if- I hate Dr. Death. (laughs) What if we put a flower on his face (laughs) and had him sow little seeds into people's ankles? And I, oh, spoke to me. Oh, the image when the little girl comes out and her arm is all dripping with blood because she put the seed in. I was like- Oh yeah, you like horror comics, <laughs> yeah. Scott Evans. Snyder. That's so like um, that Walking Dead episode that I have only seen twice and I can't watch any more times of the little girl when she like murders her sister. Oh, hate that episode. Yeah, chilling. Because this little girl, there's the story. This little girl is basically like obsessed with Mr. Bloom because she was witness to one of the attacks. And she like draws his picture at the orphanage and she's like obsessed with him. And that, and then when everything is hitting the fan, she comes out of the room and her blood, you know, blood's dripping down her arm. And you're like, no, no, don't do this. And then she starts to like mutate. Alexis, how did you feel about the the body horror in this? Because it's a big part of this Ugh. comic with Mr. Bloom and then all the characters who are affected by it. Yeah. See, I I mean, if if you are a listener of the Comics Collective and you are finding us here, you know that Dallas lives for that. I would rather jump in front of a train than see <laughs> any body horror on somebody else. I will be body horror in front of a train, but if anybody else in my presence, like <laughs> how you mentioned The Walking Dead, my boyfriend is obsessed with that show. I absolutely hate it. Makes me shiver. Willie's out the wazoo. Even Dr. Death, even though he's not as scary, like we've said, he still freaks me out. <laughs> he is horrifying. And I don't know. I'm not a fan of the body horror. That's definitely Dallas's mojo. But oh, we should, we should watch like, the thing together. <gasps> oh god! <laughs> Spooky month For is over. All it's families. birthday month. <laughs> yes, this is also Alexis's birthday month. Oh, so make you. sure you <laughs> wish her a very happy birthday. I told Dallas it's not Spooky Month anymore. 
it's we're it's, over it it's lex vember is what it is lex vember. every day yes. she turns a new age <laughs> yes so Anne, how did you how did you feel about mr bloom as an antagonist here because he was very unique for the time and he isn't utilized very often no he hasn't i think the last time he got used I, isn't he a zombie right now in tax task force c yeah yeah and he's technically is, not even dead in that book really okay it's i haven't weird i haven't read that one yet that's that's interesting and it was even more interesting because it felt like mr bloom wasn't so much just one person as an idea in the story which i they do touch on a little bit how he is kind of like joker in the fact that his identity is anonymous but mr bloom could be anyone while the joker could only be one person yeah. so i thought that was a, a really cool distinction and his powers really creepy really love the the spiky slender man thing he's got going on and his face mask also very creepy um it, we've seen like the power broker type character before where they're just handing out superpowers left and right right but the way that mr bloom does it differently where it like literally gets under your skin i thought that was a really good addition to the gotham mythos and i thought it was a really cool enemy to see jim face because he could have they could have put him up against any of the classic villains but to give mm -hmm. him his own original villain i think that really set him up to not be compared to batman but to compared to bruce in any way if that makes sense because like you put him up against a penguin or a joker and all we're doing the whole time is comparing him to how like how would bruce deal with this how would bruce handle the situation but just giving him his own person and making that his own personal struggle i thought that was a very smart move yeah, totally agree. And it's in a way, it's very similar to uh, Morrison's treatment of Batman mm -hmm. during the Batman and Robin run, where they basically were like, we are going to give you all new villains, where you are going to be able to establish your own legacy, and you're going to have rogues that are uniquely yours. And having Mr. Bloom, and I love what you said about it's like, it's this idea that it could be anybody, and mm -hmm. the choice of someone, because you have to make the incision, you have to put the seed in, and then you get whatever weird Cronenberg powers you want. It's, it's haunting, because it dives into the depravity of people and they're like people will do anything to feel special and mm -hmm. that idea of basing a villain around that and saying yeah people are going to do anything to feel special so they're gonna ruin the city just to feel like they don't have to be at the mercy of anybody else it's a really cool uh, approach for a villain that you don't see very often mm -hmm. Yeah, it was good. That's my that's my addition. That you all you nailed it all right on the head. I like Mr. Bloom. <laughs> it would be cool. the comics collective if we didn't fit a it's good in there somewhere. <laughs> it's good. It's good, it's good yeah. stuff. Good soup. So ultimately Bruce does decide to become Batman again. He heads back. He finds this machine. So this machine, I love the idea behind this because they seeded this all the way back in Detective Comics number 27 from the New 52 where they had this short story about this again uh drawn by uh Sean Gordon Murphy um who's incredible. Pick up Batman White Knight and the subsequent sequels. Uh who tells the story about this generational Batman where they created this machine where every single generation, a fresh new clone will get their memories over overridden by the original Batman. And so 
the idea of Batman can continue on endlessly. It's very uh, Justice League epilogue or JLU epilogue for Batman Beyond. And they are going to try to use this machine to bring back Bruce's memories because the last backup was just prior to Endgame. And so there is this trippy, trippy uh, issue that's uh, drawn by Yannick Paquette, who is a wonderful artist, where you get to see all the different attempts by Bruce and Alfred to get Bruce to remember he's Batman. And when they finally get to the point where Bruce realizes you have to kill this Bruce Wayne to bring Batman back, it is heartbreaking because this is all Alfred has ever wanted. Alfred wanted Bruce to be the boy he was before the incident with his parents. And I'm really interested because Alexis, you've said that this was this and then zero year was kind of your first big, like long Batman exposure. How did this issue and really this idea of who Batman is and how it's so antithetical to Bruce Wayne how did that square away with what you kind of associate with Batman before reading this book? Well, I feel like before reading, and I feel like I can speak for a, like a lot of people or a general thought is Batman is made out to be this like big, bad, blah, blah, blah. I'm the vampire in the dark. Like I hate everything type of character. And I feel like just that part specifically, even like with Alfred, you just feel so much for them. And it's just, it's just heartbreaking because they have this relationship that you know exists, but I just remember sitting there and thinking like, oh, he's a guy too. And we're finally seeing him be just Bruce Wayne. And it's to the point where like, I kind of, I feel bad for him that he doesn't really get this part that much. Like he doesn't get to do this all the time. And, but at the same time, you're like, well, he's Batman. Who gives a shit about Bruce Wayne? He's Batman. (laughs) <laughs> like let him be Batman, but it's just like the double edged scrutiny. I don't even know. It's just so bad. It just makes you want to cry every time. I remember reading it and I was like, damn, okay. I still hate Batman, but okay. <laughs> but I get it. I hate it. I get, I get it. it. I understand it. It made me like Batman a little bit more. Made him feel relatable. I feel like That's rough, buddy. <laughs> In the exact opposite way of Superior Spider-Man, I wanted the status quo to continue. With Superior Spider-Man, I wanted it to continue because it's the best Spider-Man story of the modern era. Dr. Octopus kills it as Spider-Man. It's fascinating, beautiful, but this isn't a Superior Spider-Man podcast. This is the other comic that got me into comics. Yet. (laughs) This, I wanted Bruce Wayne to marry the hot ginger. I'm a Spider-Man fan. Of course I wanted him to marry the hot ginger. Mm -hmm. Of course. He had that nice beard. I think that made up for Gordon losing his mustache that Bruce got the beard. He lost it so so Bruce Wayne could find it. I mean, fans, he had a beard almost as nice as Eric's looking at this (laughs) right here. I was like, dang, everybody looks better with a beard. And that's why... God made it so I could only grow a beard on my neck and nothing on my cheeks. You know, I'd be too powerful. (laughs) (laughs) But I was so sad when Bruce had to become Batman again. And I think that is a sign of effective storytelling, right? Yeah. I see some people levy criticism against Snyder Capullo because there is no Bat family for this whole run of Batman. 
really it's the Joker and Bruce story. But you know what? They really get Bruce and that he doesn't get lost in all of this. I feel like you understand why he is Batman, why he is the way he is and who he would be without Batman by the end of this run. And I can't think of a better way to tee up whoever's coming next than to have really solidified over 50 issues why Bruce Wayne is Batman. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I mean, the choice to have Julie decide like, yeah, I've known the entire time. And they also give this great backstory that ties her into his origin where her dad manufactured the gun that Joe Chill used to kill his parents. Incredible. It's, it's as uh, one of our favorite filmmakers likes to say, it rhymes. <laughs> it rhymes. George Lucas, you gotta, you gotta do the claw hands. Uh, <laughs> so Julie is the one that presses the button Bruce Wayne is gone. Batman is reborn. And I love this page where it's like after the bright light comes up and Alfred's like, hey, look, things are going wrong right now. And Bruce looks up and he's like, save it for the car. Let's go to work. And it's like, that's Batman. He's back Mm -hmm. like instantly. It's like that moment in uh, seminal storytelling, uh, incredible TV show Mad Men where at the end of season four, Don Draper, you see him again for the first time. I'm not going to get into it, but Mad Men, it's incredible. But yeah, we get to see at the conclusion of this, you know, Mr. Bloom has turned kaiju-sized and is taking over the city. He's utilizing this super collider that powers uh, Limited or powers Corp, whatever, uh, is basically going to use to destroy the city. It's that classic, oh, we've got this generator, let's destroy the city with it. But now we've got two Batman, and I love the Batman that shows back up here. Why? Because he's got purple. This is the best Batman costume in the entire history of the character. The gold outlined bat, the black belt with the gold uh, accents, and the purple cape. How did you all feel about the return of Batman in this new design? It was so Best dramatic. Costume. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I I'm that the, bitch. He jumps in the first thing. He says, who died and made you Batman? So good. The best, the best line you can have started with. And this costume is just so perfect. It's a, I love the little, at, the um, elements of yellow in there, mm-hmm. where it's like paying homage to the original, like yellow bat logo, but without overdoing it. It slims it down. It modernizes it in a, good way because there there are ways to um, modernize things in a bad way where they get overly complicated overly convoluted but i think this keeps it slick and the little bits of purple in the cape too keeping that purple in there that regal royal purple very very smart choice batman should always have some purple on him whether it's his underwear or whatever whether you can see his underwear or not you should probably see his underwear he should wear the trunks on the outside but that's nah, nah, he, he's got a he's got a purple g-string underneath all that <laughs> good for him <laughs> it's hot uh i love the coloration of this suit when you look at the combination of purple and gold across superhero comics you get characters like modok batroc the leaper the original di- designs for kingpin it's kind of seen as like a silly color combo if that makes sense like you don't take the guy in purple and yellow seriously but I love 
like Anne said, the toning down of the yellow in the costume mm -hmm. to make it an accent. So he does have like this royal regal purple that shows like the king is back, right? Like daddy's home. But then like the little bits of yellow added to it shows that there is a lighter tone to this than like the Court of Owls Batman. That mm. all black and gray Batman was very grim and gritty. And after this whole journey he's been through, I think Snyder and Capullo learned with doing Zero Year that the best Batman is a little bit silly. And so they made sure even in just costume design, <clears throat> handing him off to the next character, the not next character, the next creative team, this Batman will be inherently a little bit more lighthearted because of this color scheme, because of how he's presented on the page. It's going to feel really off to put this guy through the killing joke if he has like a purple lining on the inside of his cape, right. you know? Going back for a second, are you telling me you don't respect Batroc the Leaper? Are you insane? The ultimate Frenchman? The ultimate Frenchman. I'm telling Olivier! all the French. I'm telling Leap. the French. <laughs> I'm Tell DMing the French. them right now. I'm, I'm going to go fight the French in two weeks. We're going to enact some French violence. Some French violence. Baguette in hand. <laughs> Baguette in hand. Nightwing, but without escrima sticks, just two baguettes. That is Oliver from <laughs> Invincible with two baguettes, escrima stick style, <laughs> just charging into battle. Whoever is the owner of this French child, can you please come to aisle seven? He's destroying the Italian food section. Can you He's committing hate him? crimes against the Italians? <laughs> Mark so Grayson's much. like, shit. <laughs> we don't know where the blood starts and the ragu sauce ends. <laughs> Please come get your your purple-skinned child. And he says, oui, oui, mon ami. <laughs> Je m'appelle Lafayette. Oh he starts rapping. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> It's you so, want to make a ratatouille joke while you're at it? Because we still have some time. Swami, the Swami. So as we're as we're wrapping up the story, um, what I love about the conclusion of this, besides this sick image where Batman saves Duke at the last moment, Chef's kiss, is the fact that Bruce isn't the one who saves the day. Jim Gordon as Batman is still the one that saves the day him working together with duke pulls bloom into the super collider and then uh gordon uses an amplifier to nullify it it's like it's still jim gordon at the end of the day he proves himself it's his finest hour as batman just as it's taken away from him and it's sad because i really think that there is a lot of narrative potential with telling the story of Jim Gordon as Batman over a long period of time. But I can't argue with the fact that the ending to this is so perfect. You know, he's waking up in the hospital bed. You know, we're getting that montage of like showing all the lives that have been touched by this. Bruce recruits Duke. We get to see Julie, you know, cleaning up and she sees that Bruce left his mark, his little, his little clay brick. And, Jim goes back to being commissioner and it's sad because I wanted this to continue like Dallas said earlier. Um, but it makes sense. And it makes sense that this was the way that it had to end with Bruce coming back. But as a new Batman, they referenced that 
his thanks to the Dionysium, his scars have healed. He's physically the biggest, baddest, fastest Batman he's ever been. And with the added um with the added kind of rebirth that he went through, he's now more complete as a character. He's not just the grim, like, start of the new 52 Batman that Snyder and Capullo were playing in the sandbox with. He's now, he has multitudes. He is a multifaceted being. How did you feel about just overall Jim Gordon's uh, stint as Batman? And would you like to have seen it continue? I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to Alexis first, because I'm very interested. Good. Okay. Dallas talks too much, but <laughs> just, kidding, just kidding. I liked it. I feel like it was, uh, I keep saying, I feel like it was different, but I feel like it was a good different. I liked seeing the dynamic of how he had to stay within the law. Like, and I mean, I can, I keep imagining like Bruce having to do that and him just like grumbling about it for like 20 minutes while he's trying to be Batman. But I just feel like it was done so well. It was so fun. Justice for his mustache. They should have let him keep it. But I don't know. It was good. And I feel like it was a good length. I don't know if that just makes it like more approachable to read since it wasn't crazy long. Um, But it was a good non-traditional Batman. Batman comic. (laughs) I am really curious because this happened during the DCU where it's like every title had to change something up, had to mix something up. So I'm wondering, I, I would really love to know behind the scenes, like, if this was always what they were planning to do, and if they, like, if Scott Snyder had this in his head when they, like, started this run, and if he knew exactly when it was going to end, or if it's just, like, this is by necessity, because I know this is ending soon, so I'm going to just wrap this up here at the end and call that a day. Like, I'm curious, like, if people had liked it, do you think he would have kept going with Jim as Batman for a while? Do you think you would have given him that second arc? Or do you think this was always planned as the one 10-hour thing, 10-issue arc? I feel like the title of Batman is a slippery one. Like, no Mm -hmm. matter how good you do, (laughs) Dick Grayson, you get to hold on for about 10 months before Bruce Wayne literally carves his way through time to get back (laughs) into that cowl. (laughs) You know? Oh, he literally kills himself and comes back with a new mind to become Batman again. There's nothing like he will Bruce not Wayne do can... to upstage the new guy. Exactly. No matter what you're doing, Bruce Wayne is like, I will now jump from 15,000 feet and <laughs> land in my costume. It's like, what? Why are you doing oh the most? Oh. Bruce Wayne's so extra. He would pull like a Betsy Braddock and just like live in someone else's head to come back. I am now piloting your body, piloting the bat mech. I am Batman again. He's just running them like a bat mech. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I I agree. I think I would have liked to see more of Jim Gordon as Batman because it's such a radically new idea in a sea of ideas being recycled over and over again. The idea of like, yeah, why don't we make Jim Gordon Batman was so new and so fresh at the time that it was, again, like this thing where we love seeing different things for these characters until inevitably everyone complains that the old stuff was better and then we go back to the status quo. 
but I really adore this story. This is, like I said, my favorite arc out of the entire Snyder Capullo run because it meant so much to me as a fan to see that idea that, yes, with the funding of GCPD, some body implants and shaving your facial hair, you too can become Batman. It's that simple. And it's that idea that, like, Yes, Bruce Wayne is ultimately the person who sacrifices the most to be Batman, but that it's not always just up to him to save the city. And I think that's something that we don't get a lot in Batman comics. Any final thoughts on Super Heavy? What did you like? What did you love? What did you hate? And um, yeah, what do you what do you think about the book as a whole? I'll go to Dallas first. I think my favorite little stint in Super Heavy is when Gordon gets um, sort of put up against the wall. And they're like, you have to stop trying to be what you think Batman should be and just be Batman, right? It's the same speech that Alfred gives to Dick. Like, Batman is one of the great roles that you have to fill with your own shoes. And I've always liked that idea that Batman is something specific for Bruce, but Batman is a big enough thing that whoever comes in after the fact should be able to interpret a little bit differently. And I think the book really starts to hit its stride when Gordon accepts that and he becomes the Batman that he knows that he can be. And So that was one of my favorite things during this whole thing. It's just all of Jim's internal monologue is so fun that I think even though the story wasn't huge for me, it's not one of, it's not going to go down as one of my favorite Batman stories ever. I really enjoyed getting that one-time perspective of Jim Gordon in Batman shoes. And I like that he got to experience that for once and just, just to understand like what Bruce goes through on like a day-to-day basis. And it gives you a better, I want to say like respect for what Bruce Wayne does because it shows just how unique this is. That a person who's dedicated his entire life to the law isn't, necessarily going to be the best Batman and it requires something so much more than just a desire for justice can possibly give you and I think that's one of the coolest takeaways from the story hell yeah Alexis yeah exactly I feel like it just really begs the question of like can anybody be the same Batman that Batman is you know it's kind of a fun dynamic of like him having to realize what he thinks Batman is isn't the same as what everybody else thinks Batman is. You know, it's just like, he's such an individualistic character that it's interesting to see everybody's different thoughts and portrayals of him. Even like the Robins that become the Batman, you know, every single one is different because they're different people and they have different goals. And it's just, it was fun to see Gordon be the, be the Batman, be the hero that he that I feel like he's wanted to be for a long time I can't help but think he's like oh yeah this this is what I wanted I get to be Batman now I just had that funny thought of like he's definitely having a good time with this it makes me really happy everyone who wants to be the Batman yeah it makes me happy that Jim was in line before Jason to become Batman <laughs> Freaking we've had for that. we've had Dick as Batman we've had Tim as Batman we have had not Jason as Batman, but we have had Jim Gordon 
as Batman. <laughs> also, make sure you get in your your top five Robins, your five Robins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get that hashtag five Robins. But I want to say thank you guys for coming on the podcast. I loved getting to chat about Super Heavy and at about Zero Year on their podcast. If you're coming to me first, definitely go check out them. And if you have already listened to both, thanks for listening to us for almost three hours. We had a great time. Um, Please feel free to plug away if our listeners want to learn more about you guys, if they want to learn more about all of your talking comics and all of your comics nonsense, where where can they find you on the socials and plug away on that comics collective? All right. If you liked this nice little Wu-Tang clan that we brought over here, I feel bad bringing three people to Eric like, Ooh, but if <laughs> they Robin, we didn't me. bring snacks. They, they Robin, we did. They, we they, are the Robins. They are right here. They are Dallas Robins. is Jason. We are Robins. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Okay, now you Robin? hear that noise, and then they come in a wave just over over a grocery like. store aisle. Seventy-four <laughs> ten-year-olds. Um, if you like all this, go ahead and go check out some of our more ep- some more of our episodes on the comics collective we're available wherever you listen to podcasts every wednesday we're a great second act to eric you know <laughs> listen to his show and then be like ah oh, man that was really good what's some junk food i could add behind that <laughs> we're your late night snack we are we're the guilty pleasure come on and we're that- on the snacks <laughs> Exactly. We're that pint of ice cream in the freezer. Come mm-hmm. on over and be like, what did they say about from hell? Come on, <laughs> come here, you. Um, but make sure to follow my lovely co-hosts over on social media. They are very, very wonderful people and a great follow. I'll let them plug themselves. Oh, thank you. You can follow me at Ann Comics. Um, yeah, I talk comics once or twice a week. It's a fun time. We do we do things. Uh, Lexi, how about you? Oh, introducing the pens that just crashed behind my sound. But um, <laughs> I am at Lexi Taylor underscore one, two, three on Twitter and also Instagram. I show up on Twitter once a blue moon to harass Dallas and Ann, and then I go into hiding again. So feel free to check out my Instagram if you really are obsessed with me, mm-hmm. which most of you are. So be all there. <laughs> And so humble. Yep. I love it. But no, genuinely, Comics Collective is one of my favorite podcasts. I I love getting to listen every single week, genuinely. And now having a podcast buddy that comes out the same day, I can now actually enjoy Wednesdays instead of being like, I gotta, I gotta upload this. I gotta get this going. If you like what I do here, obviously you got an entire episode where you got to hear them just be incredible and you will get more of that with every single episode. They are one of the most comfortable comic book podcasts. They have such a great rapport between each other. It's genuinely a pleasure to listen to every single episode and you come away from every conversation, if not knowing more about a comic, appreciating it more. So Go check them out. They're wonderful. Comics Collective Forever. Hashtag Five Robins. Come get your child. He has something called a scrimistics. So (laughs) overall, when it comes to this two-part crossover, when it comes to Zero Year, when it comes to Super Heavy, I think comfortably we can say that the legend of Batman is long and it will never die. 
It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we're reviewing episode number nine of season three of Doom Patrol. This episode is entitled Evil Patrol, which made me really excited because this is the Brotherhood of Evil episode, baby! Brotherhood of Evil is back. I said last time that if we never see the Brotherhood of Evil again, I will cherish the time that we got. But thankfully, we got more time with Brain and Mala. Makes me incredibly happy. Uh, But this episode really was about a lot of stuff. This is the penultimate episode of the season, so there's a lot of stuff that it needs to line up. And oh, man did this episode deliver uh, this is as good a pre-finale episode as you can get i think the season one pre-finale episode still tops it for me because that is a perfect episode of television so freaking good but this episode dealt with a lot of stuff first off uh pretty much picked up where the last episode left off with Rita and Laura having their confrontation. Uh, Rita and Laura, who were at one time best friends and now they are mortal enemies. Uh, Laura escapes, you know, not taking any kind of um, ownership of the lives that she ruined as part of the uh, Department of Normalcy. And Rita is on the warpath. She wants nothing else but to absolutely destroy Laura and so we are heading towards a collision course here Uh, but one of the standouts for me really was the scene between uh, Silas Stone and the all-new cyborg aka just Vic Vic, who, following the events of last episode, got the uh, synthetic skin grafts. He does not have any of his cyborg abilities, but he does look like he did prior to his accident. Uh, This was great. The scene between uh, the two of them, I have to give props to Phil Morris, who plays Silas Stone. What a powerhouse of an actor. The two of them are so good together, and it makes me so excited that they are continuing the storyline because I just want more of them. I think they are fascinating. I think they are tragic. Their conversations are brutal, and I absolutely love it. Uh, Vic also got a little bit of play later on with uh, Kay, who has basically banished all of the other uh all of the other personas it's just her and jane now uh the underground is looking like a ghost town and jane is hearing some kind of like monster persona like creeping around in the tunnels we don't know what's going on down there we've heard the screams of the other personas we don't know exactly what's gonna happen i hope we get some answers next episode but vic and k had kind of a sweet moment k is I don't know how to feel about this because Kay is very clearly a little girl. That's her personality. But she's also in an adult Jane's body and seems to be incredibly romantically interested in Vic. Uh, But I don't know. I don't know how they're going to handle this. It makes me feel icky to think about, though. So I don't know where they're going to go. But... I mean, the star of the show for me, of course, was the Brotherhood of Retirees, a.k.a. the Brotherhood of Evil. Mala and Brain have retired to uh, Boca Raton, Florida. They are living in a a retirement village, and the two of them are just living their lives. Laura returns to them to continue their plan and finds that Brain and Mala just aren't, they just 
they're retired. They don't want anything to do with it. Specifically, Mala. I loved how like passive aggressive wife Mala was. So freaking cool. I just I love seeing the two of them together. I really genuinely love it. Even though the Mala CGI is not great, um, I will forgive that because I just love seeing the pair of them. I love seeing the Brotherhood of Evil. But Laura is able to convince the brain to continue on with their plan with a new twist on the whole thing. Meanwhile, Rita, again, still on the warpath, gave one of my favorite things about her character. She gave us another mission brief. I live for these moments and these scenes. Uh, But everyone's pretty much useless at this point. Larry is so focused on the the slug the parasite thing now it's like his child i don't think that's going to end well for him or for anybody uh vic isn't able to do anything k doesn't have any powers and robot man's pretty messed up so we don't know exactly what's happening here uh how they're going to defeat the brotherhood of evil much less just laura because As we see, we get a nice little visit in a scene between Cliff and Clara where she's trying to mend bridges and also get Cliff the help he needs. But then a rouge baby attacks. Little baby, uh, uh, Madame Rouge disguised as Clara's baby attacks. And it is... Okay, uh, let's, let's be honest here. The CGI for her is rough in this little baby form. But... The action scene is so fun, so kinetic, and it's really just, it's a great scene. And she's able to not only knock people out, but also to get Cliff out. Which leads us to the final sequence where the brain switches his brain with Cliff's. It is tragic. The brain is now in Cliff's robot man body. The brain and Mala backstab and betray Madame Rouge and send her as well as Cliff's brain careening off of a cliff. So much wrong. So many bad things are happening. I don't know how they're going to wrap this all up, but I'm very excited to see this finale episode for this season. I'm sad that it's only 10 episodes, but it's been so perfectly paced without any filler that I am totally on board with this structure for the show if they keep this going forward. Uh, What a fantastic episode. I have been loving this season. Um, I think it does for the most part uh, beat out season two for me so we're gonna see how all of this gets wrapped up if it's a nice little bow or if it's something a lot messier which knowing the doom patrol probably a little bit of column a but mostly column b so tune in next week for the final weekly review for doom patrol season three but for now Let's roll right on into this week's Comics Countdown. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at a local comic book shop, a comiXology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explained Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, it was a toss-up between two books, but ultimately because of how inventive and really 
crazy the twist was at the end of the issue, I gave the win to Dark Knights of Steel number one, written by Tom Taylor with art by Asmund Putri. Um, it was this or Human Target. Both of those books were incredible. Uh, the Greg Smallwood art and the Tom King writing on Human Target was mwah, chef's kiss. But for me, ultimately... The world that Dark Knights of Steel set up, I love me some high fantasy. And again, the twists upon twists in this first issue make you immediately engrossed and invested in the story. And you want will want to read issue two once you read issue one. But that's last week's books. This week, we've got seven books for you to check out. So let's go ahead and dive into them, starting things off with I Am Batman number three. This is written by John Ridley with art by Steven Segovia. And this is continuing on the Jace Fox saga during Fear State. Uh, I've been really enjoying it. I enjoyed the first two issues. I like where Jace is at this point. I'm excited to see him cross over with other Bat family members. Or, I mean, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he just stays apart the entire time. Either way, I'm invested in his journey. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Jace attempts to stem the tide of misinformation from the Seer, as this mysterious adversary sends a heavily armed mob to a juvenile detention facility to break out a member of their militia. When Jace realizes his mother Tanya is at the facility, he'll stop at nothing to save her, but will he be too late? Again, so Fear State tie-in this seer this anti-oracle is a problem and i'm glad that we are continuing to sell the fox family alongside jace because that is going to be the difference between him bruce and the other members of the bad family so very excited to pick this up next up we have action comics number 1036 finally at last uh this is written by philip kennedy johnson and sean lewis with art by daniel sampier and sammy basri we're here we finally made it it's the War World Saga. We've been waiting. We've had five different exits for the Man of Steel from Earth to War World. And now Superman, alongside his authority, have made it to War World. Very excited to see where this goes. I'm just glad that we're here. It was getting muddled. It was getting to be kind of strange with all the different uh, stories depicting his leaving uh earth and everything so i'm excited let's go ahead and dive into this here the war world saga part one the war world saga begins after learning of an enslaved race with mysterious ties to krypton superman and the authority travel across the galaxy to dethrone the new mongol and liberate war world introducing new characters and a new corner of the dc universe the biggest superman event since the death and return of superman begins here that is a big promise that is a huge promise. We have not had a culturally um, defining event for Superman like Death and Return of Superman. And if this promises to be as big as that and and um, goes in and actually fulfills that promise, uh, this is going to be 
This is going to be good. So very excited to see how they kick this off. Next up, we have Strange Academy, number 13. This is written, of course, by Scotty Young with art by Umberto Ramos. This book has been the cons- one of the most consistently good Marvel books in a very long time. Um, I loved the death of Doctor Strange tie-in for this. It was great. And Strange Academy just continues to be one of the best books that Marvel puts out. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Strange Academy kids have a night on the town in New Orleans. Some kids go for a tour of the famous Nola Graveyard, and I'm sure you know how teens in graveyards usually go. Emily takes a field trip of her own, and we also learn the secret origin of Zoe Laveau. So Zoe's been one of the characters that I've been waiting to get more information about, so I'm very excited to see uh, her origin story. Plus... The kids have been through a lot recently, and so hopefully this will be a good palate cleanser for them to allow them some time to relax. Next up, we have Robin and Batman number one. This is written by Jeff Lemire with art by Dustin Yuyen. I have been waiting for this book for a while. I Ever since this was announced, I am so into this. This is essentially Dick Grayson year one with Robin. Uh, we already have the Robin year one book, which is great. We also have a many different versions of this but the team of Lemire and Yuyen makes me really excited to read this and we'll see what they do differently or what they reinvent to keep the same so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here the legendary story of Batman and Robin has reached nearly mythic proportions. The crime-fighting dynamic duo, always one step ahead of the criminals they pursue and never meeting a case too big. This isn't that story. This is the story of a young Dick Grayson, newly orphaned, struggling to find his way in a strange, difficult, dark new world. This is the story of Robin and Batman. The best-selling creative team behind the Eisner-winning Descender, Jeff Lemire and Dustin Yuyen, reunite in Gotham City to tell the story of a remarkable young man learning to navigate an incredible new world. I'm sold on that synopsis. I'm going to be honest with you. Um... Pulling the curtain back here, I don't read these synopses ahead of time. I wait to do the to read them for the first time on this podcast, and I'm sold on this. This seems like it's going to be a much more introspective look at uh, Dick Grayson's first, you know, outings as Robin, learning about Bruce, learning about Batman, and the whole uh, crime fighting game. So I'm very excited about this. Next up, we have The Thing number one. This is written by Walter Mosley with art by Tom Riley. The ever-loving thing has got his own book, baby. And with two of my... Honestly, you could not ask for a better creative team to be on the Ever Loving Things book. I am very excited about this. It has been too long since the thing has had the spotlight, and now Mosley and Riley are going to give him what he deserves. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Next Big Thing, Part 1. The Next Big Thing begins here. Renowned storyteller Walter Mosley brings his signature style to a sweeping saga of Yancey Street's favorite son that will range from the urban sprawl of the back alleys of Manhattan to the farthest reaches of the cosmos itself. 
A lonely evening and a chance encounter, or is it? Sends Ben Grimm embarking on a sojourn that'll have him encountering and battling figures both old and new. Featuring guest appearances from figures drawn from throughout the Marvel Universe, as well as precision artwork by Tom Riley, the next big thing will remind audiences why The Thing is one of the most popular and beloved characters in the history of comics. So the way that they sell that is very much like a Batman Universe-style story for The Thing, which I am all about. I love Batman Universe. I love The Thing Everybody, I have not found a single person who doesn't love Ben Grimm as a character. So I'm excited, looking forward to this, pick this up for sure. Next up, we have a big finale issue, Justice League Last Ride number 7, written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Miguel Mendoncha. I have been waiting for this to see how they wrap this up because this Justice League book is my Justice League book. This is a premiere book. This is a premiere story with a premiere team, great writing, incredible art. I'm sad to see this go, but I'm so, so looking forward to seeing how they wrap this up. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. It's all been building to this. Past and present and future all collide here in the final issue of this monumental series. Everything connects back to John's death, Batman's final decision, and Superman's regret. It all has been leading to this final confrontation with Darkseid. Who lives? Some do. Who dies? Some do. It all culminates in a bombastic finale from which the Justice League will emerge eternally changed. So this book has been consistently surprising me with every single issue, and now, as we're coming out to the finale of this, I cannot wait to pick this up and see how they wrap this up. But the big book of the week for me, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is The Amazing Spider-Man number 78. This is written by Kelly Thompson with art by Sarah Pacelli. And Spider-Man Beyond's been great. I'm sorry for those of you who may not be liking it, who may be mad that Ben Riley is back in the spotlight spotlight i'm a ben riley boy so i am very happy about this the book has been great i've been loving the different uh writer artist teams that have been on it so far and sky's the limit for this story sky's the limit for ben riley sky's the limit for pretty much spider-man as a whole right now spider-man is at an all-time high when it comes to popularity and word of mouth uh so this book is capturing that and doing its damnedest to make you read this book. It's so freaking good. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Beyond, Chapter 4. Now backed by the Beyond Corporation, Spider-Man is in for a slew of dangerous missions. After being brutally taken down by Morbius, Spider-Man will fall into a trap by one of the deadliest foes in his legendary rogues gallery, Craven the Hunter. The hunter is going to test his prey like never before, and Spider-Man is sent into a hallucinatory spiral that will test his sanity and force him to do the impossible. Yes, give me Morbius. Yes, give me Craven the Hunter. I'm so into this book. Very, very, very excited to pick this up. Cannot wait to read Chapter 4 of Beyond. It's been incredible so far, and I... I'm loving where the 
direction of this Spider-Man book is going. But that is going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have I Am Batman number 3, Action Comics number 1036, Strange Academy number 13, Robin and Batman number 1, The Thing number 1, Justice League Last Ride number 7, and The Amazing Spider-Man number 78. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to the podcast on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday and ratings, reviews, and especially subscriptions really does help me out, really helps the podcast out and kind of raises our stock in the podcasting space, gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcast, whatever you want to call it, you will have your review read here live on the podcast. You can join the likes of our now dirty dozen, including Seafire ND, Joshua Panels to Pickles, uh, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, A Lock and AC, and now. I love it. We got a review from Sass. Thank you very much to Sass for writing in their review entitled Invincible Podcasts Are Great. Uh, They write, Big Invincible Fan, and your book club has been a lot of fun to listen to. Short, sweet, to the point, the Geeksplain book club featuring Invincible is coming to an end pretty soon here. Uh, We've only got two episodes left, which means we're almost there. Uh, I absolutely adore that so many people have been loving the Invincible reviews, Um, and I'm just glad that you decided to write in so thank you very much sass uh for your review and again if you would like to hear your review read here on the podcast feel free to give us a five-star rating and review you can write whatever you would like uh as long as you give me that rating and review for five stars I'll read it here. So once again, thank you to our now dirty dozen for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Also, if you want to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag, if you have a question for me, uh, you want to get clarification on something, you want to get maybe a quick pitch, or if you want some referrals or some recommendations that we haven't covered yet on the podcast, you can write in and I will read your uh, email here. You can send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Uh, just like our good brother Gaius McCain, who wrote in. Uh, always good to hear from Gaius. Uh, he writes, Hey, Eric, hello. He says, I'm super obsessed with Christmas movies. That's why I'm so excited for Hawkeye. Same. I wanted to know what are some of your favorites? My top five would be Elf, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Home Alone, The Christmas Chronicles, and Noel. Also, just an idea, but it would be kind of cool for when you are done with Invincible, you could do Ultimate Spider-Man as your new book club book. I know how you love Brian Bendis. And he put the... You put this stupid uh, devil emoji. You said, love your podcast. I listen to it every Wednesday. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for writing in. Ultimate Spider-Man would be very interesting. I've never read through Ultimate Spider-Man all the way through. 
I've read most of it. There are issues I've missed here and there, but it would be interesting to go back and kind of follow along through a book that was coming out concurrently with Invincible at the same time. So that would be interesting. I will, uh, I'll discuss it with my co-hosts for the Geek Explained Book Club. But uh, as to your question for uh, favorite Christmas movies, you have some solid ones there. How the Grinch Stole Christmas, uh, Home Alone, Noel, those are definitely up there for me. I also really honestly enjoy and people can argue this with me as much as they want. Um, Iron Man 3 is a great Christmas movie. Uh, Shazam is a great Christmas movie that I really enjoy. But if we're talking about straight up Christmas movies, um, I have to give it up to a film that I, my partner and I discovered last year, which is Klaus. Um, we cried during this movie. It is incredibly, it is incredibly good. It's on Netflix. If you haven't checked it out, do yourself a favor, check it out. All star cast. It's an animated film with a very unique style, which I really, really enjoy. Um, it's just, it's a heart wrenching, beautiful story that I absolutely love. Um, also, there's another one. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Uh, Jingle All the Way. Jingle All the Way is one of my personal favorites. When I was a kid, I have always, always, always wanted that same toy. I believe it was um, an Ultraman. Let me see here. Let me... Turbo Man. Turbo Man. I wanted a Turbo Man when I was a kid. I never had a Turbo Man, and I have always wanted a Turbo Man ever since. So... Uh, that movie is very near and dear to my heart. Um, it's not technically a movie, but I also love the, um, what is it called? Comfort and Joy episode of Justice League Unlimited. Uh, or I guess at that point it was just the regular Justice League uh, show, but I love that to death. I watch that every single Christmas, and of course, you can't go wrong with a Charlie Brown Christmas as well. So those are some of my favorites. Thank you for sharing yours, and thank you, of course, for writing in, Gaius. Always good to hear from you. And again, if you want to have your email read on the podcast, if you have a question for me or you just want to talk some shop, uh, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com and I will read them here. Just put mailbag in the subject header. Can't wait to read your email. Finally, if you want to follow along with the podcast, keep up to date with the happenings there, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit on the latest geeky news with me, you can feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at GeeksplainedPod. That's at GeeksplainedPod on Instagram and Twitter. And yeah, that is going to do it for this week's episode. want to say a huge thank you once again to Dallas, Ann, and Alexis for coming on the show. Again, it is one part of a two-part crossover event between our two podcasts. If you haven't listened to theirs yet, hop on over there and hear us just absolutely go buck wild on Zero Year. It was such a fun conversation. If you liked what we did here, you'll love what we did over there. Go subscribe to their podcast. Check them out. They're wonderful. They're one of the best comics podcasts that are going on today, and I am very fortunate and very happy to call them friends so check them out thank you to all three of them again for coming on the show and that is gonna do it next week we are heading into something that i didn't think i was ever gonna get to but 
Here we are next week. We're going to be diving into the 2021 power rankings for the DCTV Arrowverse. So we did one last year. I am very interested to see how everything shakes out. So tune in for that next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe and we will... See you next time.